This is the Danger Gnome Podcast, show number one for March 1st, 2019. Welcome to the premiere of the Danger Gnome Podcast. On show number one, we welcome owner of Fatback Bikes, Greg Mattis, to the show. Talk about a few events and maybe about riding some Johnny Five tires up there in Alaska. We also talked to Andy Tubesing from Bikestud.com. We're going to talk about what makes a good stud and about how many stud choices there are out there right now. And then we talked to Arrowhead 135 champion Jordan Wakeley. He's going to join us, and uh, we'll talk about bike racing and uh, what kind of danger is involved when gnomes attack. After this, it's Greg Mattis from Fatback Bikes. Danger gnome! Hey, I have Greg Mattis from Fatback Bikes on the telephone. Welcome to the Danger Gnome Podcast. Right on. Well, thanks for having me. So, last weekend up in Anchorage, well, not in Anchorage, the Susitna 100 went off. Where's that held, Greg? That starts out uh, in the Matt Sioux Valley at Martin Boozer's, the uh, famous dog mushroom. Uh, famous dog mushers uh kennel called uh, happy trails and heads north out of there so they had to do a bit of a reroute this year because uh the rivers didn't freeze very well uh, and when they finally did they were pretty jumbled with ice so um i wasn't out there this year to follow but um I understand it's a pretty good course. They were fighting uh, um, a weather front coming in, and the, the leaders ended up outrunning it for the most part. But mm-hmm. if you weren't in that lead pack, you got slammed. Yeah, I saw a post by Will Ross. He seemed like he had some tough sledding, that it was a rough race for him. Josh Chelf run one, right, for the men. Yeah, Josh is a beast. Um, he's just got insane power. And uh, the first year that we held the trio uh, was like that, just soft, deep snow, and uh, he won that pretty handily, powering away from everybody everybody else. Uh, In addition to his power, he's just a great all-around athlete, so he sometimes can ride things that very few can. Mm, Cool. And coming up next week is the ITI, right? Yeah, that'll start. Uh, Sunday afternoon at two o'clock. So, uh, so people are starting to hit town, and uh, who's the yeah? Uh, a lot who, of the particularly the Euro folks, um, you know, because they know how to vacation much better than we do. <laughs> they show up uh, a week early uh, and give themselves plenty of time to prepare. Um, so they've been streaming in all week, um, and a few of us are headed up, including uh, Tim Burnson and Kevin Murphy uh, and John Lackey mm-hmm. um, and Kevin Breitenbach. I think you know all of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're all going to head up to a place called the Northwoods Lodge that is um, it's on the trail uh, about 20 miles south of Squintna, and we're going to greet the racers with bonfire and beer and whiskey and see who takes us up on it killer and uh who's uh who's your favorite 
to uh, to take the three fifty race. Oh boy! Uh, Put you on the spot. You know, I know. When, <laughs> when we have uh, we have years like this, it's uh, you know with early on the the rivers didn't freeze particularly well. Um, there wasn't that much snow, and then we started getting hit at least uh, on this side of the Alaska Range. So um, and I, I think they got oh. 16 or 18 inches of snow out there during the Susitna, uh, Susitna 100 last weekend. And so that definitely affects trails. Um, there's not as a lot of snow machine usage midweek. So, and it snowed up there a little bit uh, after the race. So anyway, we've got uh, Pete Bassinger's back. I uh, saw that, yeah. And, and Pete has been riding really well. You know, he, he suffered some back troubles for uh, quite a few years, and um, he had the surgery, and he he won the uh, AZT this year, and he, he uh, set the record for the Baja Divide. So he's back to riding strong. Um, look forward to seeing him out there. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, he's got uh, uh, Tyson Flaherty out of Fairbanks. Um, you know, Tyson's a, a veteran and, uh, at least I, I know he's done it at least once, maybe he's done it a couple times. Uh, so he knows what he's in for and, um, he's super strong. You know, Tyson grew up a Nordic ski racer. So, um, and he lives in Fairbanks and those guys are just freakishly strong in the cold, you know, nothing fades them. Yeah. Um, so He's, he's certainly one to watch. Um, we've got Clinton Hodges mm-hmm. and uh, Casey Fagerquist, a couple uh, local Anchorage guys that um, they're both super strong riders. Uh, Casey's got a, a, a Nordic ski racing background, so he's super tough. And, uh, um, and both of those guys have done the race, so... Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there's a few others that I'm not even thinking of uh, at the moment, but those are the guys in my head right now that uh, should be strong. Oh, and then, of course, there's uh, Jay Peterberry, um, who is going to McGrath this year. So, um, you know, and, and Jay's a beast. Um, could go to any one of them. So, Man, Jay, a, a classic battle, Jay Peterberry versus... Um, Pete Bassinger. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty cool. Well, I'll be watching the dots as <laughs> as we do down here in the in the in the lower forty eight. Um I should, well maybe our bonfire on the river will show up on those dots somehow. <laughs> cool. So uh the the what spurred me to say, hey, we should talk on the podcast is uh, you told me that you were spending some time riding Johnny Fives, and I am just having all kinds of uh, issues getting getting somebody to review those tires. So tell us oh, how really? that's working out. Yeah, well, you know, we've had a few people on them, but the snow comes and goes, and uh, you know, we want to review these things on on ungroomed deep snow. Gotcha. Now you know the the. Uh the first thing that I always tell people to keep in mind is uh, that biking is 
sort of regional and uh, what works in one region may or may not work in another, you know, and you'll, you'll see that on social media all day long. Someone will say, well, you know, I don't ride anything but five inch tires and hundred mil rims. And then the next person comments, well, you know, I use four inch tires and 80 mil rims and don't ever need anything else. And I run them at eight PSI, you know, it all depends on how many riders you have, the type of snow and, um, because the, typically around here, a, a um, something like a, uh, a cake eater or a Dillinger four on mm-hmm. an 80 mil room is enough for say riders up to 200 pounds. Our trails get beaten in. Um, you've been on them before. Um, they're usually packed well. You know, our snow has uh, a decent moisture content, and we got a lot of trail users. Yeah, but tons I understand. Of users. Yeah. Um, now that said, I've been riding two of the biggest tires out there all year long and absolutely loving it. Um, I've not necessarily needed those tires, but um, I've, I've got uh, the Cake Eater 275 uh, 4.5 on my Corvus, mm-hmm. and I've got the um, I've got the Johnny Fives on uh, what are they? Oh, they're on my big Sus on a rhino that I'm testing out. Gotcha. So uh, we've been getting a decent amount of snowfall here, you know, two, three, four inches at a time, uh, fairly regularly. And and those tires have uh, such insane hookup. Um, I, I can't imagine there's a, a much better tire for, for grip. And I, I will also say that prior to the snow, uh, we had a lot of ice, and I doubt there's another tire out there with as much grip on ice as they have. Uh, you're just, running the the Ultra, the Terrain Ultra, three pronged crown studs, right? Correct. Yes. And with the the studs being uh, a little more biased, there's more studs in the center of the tire than there are, say, with a uh, with the cake eater or Dillinger and, and they, they just hook up and <clears throat> the tires got a, a fairly round profile to it on an 80 mil rim. And, um, they roll pretty fast for what they are, you know, and you, yeah, you, you've got, you know, they're, uh, I don't know, 1700 and change mm-hmm. gram wise, uh, call it 18. And so, super knobby. I mean, uh, yeah, deep lugs, and for what they are, I I think uh, I think the terrain guys did a, a hell of a job. Um, you know, if you're not trying to win any hill climbs, um, they're they're just you know sort of set it and forget it type of tire. Cool. Um, they're going to do everything pretty darn well. Nice. Yeah, I've I've really thought that uh, terrain is has come on the the market and and done very well they, they won they won some awards with their tires we gave them a nomi for their cake eater tire last year so you said you're on Hi. a you're trying out a new rhino do you have one of the new rhino flts that just came out um actually no this is a a previous gen that i'm just playing around with mm-hmm. because uh, you know oddly enough uh uh I don't even get to ride the, the newest stuff all the time. Right? <laughs> um, 
So we I have, do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll ask you to uh, send me some of my stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and stuff. Um, no, it's, we had uh, uh, the last shipment came primarily by barge. And we airshipped uh, a very small amount of frames over for photo shoots. And um, we didn't get any, any of what I'm trying out right now. So uh, at the time I set this thing up, we just didn't have one of the new ones available. Gotcha. I like the, I've, you know, I've seen the, the Rhino FLT up on your site, nice beautiful red and blue bike with the white graphics. It's kind of nice to see a bike that the name of the company is on the side of the down tube. You know, the new trend is to put them underneath or make them disappear and can't tell one bike from another. Yeah, that can be particularly difficult. Um, you know, when you're, you're taking profile shots and there's no logo on the side and, you know, people would just have to know the bike by color or shape. Right. Or you so, have to huck over a photographer. To get your yeah. to get your uh, brand noticed, yeah, exactly. So um, you know we're trying to uh, work that direction without being too gratuitous, uh, you know, interface graphics. But um, we're pretty stoked with the new colors; they've been uh, really well received. Same same with the Corvus. Um, the oh, that red, red Corvus is beautiful. Yeah, I've. I've seen quite a few pictures of that uh, up on the internet. That's all over our site as well. So uh, the last thing we get to talk about is for you to get the uh, word out about the Trio Fat Bike World Championships in Talkeetna. What's this year's yeah, What's your so this year's date for that race? Uh, this year's date is March 9th, Saturday, March 9th. So uh, there's still time for you to get tickets. Cool. Uh, and this will be the uh, seventh annual. Um, we uh, we vary up the courses a little bit. I mean, there there were a few years where we did uh, a 20 mile loop, and you did one, two, or three laps. Three being the world the championship level. Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's real fat biking um you're you're out deep in the woods and uh, the terrain is just fantastic um they've been getting a decent amount of snow up there lately they, they got good early snow and uh then sort of held off for about six weeks and um they got you know foot foot and a half over the last week and we go up and do some grooming here after the iti and uh, get things in shape. Um, we've got a uh, a beautiful aid station, which I call Shangri La, with beer and whiskey. Um, I don't know if you happen to see we heli dropped in some beer last year. I did get to see that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so there's a bonfire going on and, and uh, music, and you know there's there's quite a few riders that come out just to hang out at the party there. And, uh, and then we throw a big uh, a party and dinner and awards um, at the Sheldon Arts Hangar afterwards. And we've got a, a band and finale brewing. Brews a beer just for the event. Um, this Very year cool. will be a brew, 
fruit IPA, and uh, they cater it as well. So um, really fun town to hang out in, you know. Um, right, it's a it's a coffee. like an artist community, or or I don't know how to describe it. How do you, how would you describe Talkeetna? Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. It's uh, it's there's a lot going on for for such a small place. Um, there's a lot of personality in that town, so um, we always look forward to going up and hanging out, and, and uh, just that much more this year. March ninth, the Trio Fat Bike World Championships, a fat bike. World Championships with a huge ass party and their own beer. Yeah. So, so you know There's who's a... uh, who's coming up on the show after you is your sponsored rider and two time uh, Arrowhead one thirty five champion uh, Jordan Wakeley. Oh, nice. So I'm oh. going to talk to Jordan and uh, he's going to tell us how he. Uh, how he conquered uh, the field at Arrowhead 135 this year on a Corvus FLT with 26-inch wheels. Yeah. Beat the two guys with the uh, with with the 27.5 uh, bear gristles. So uh, yeah, you know, my take on that is is 27.5 definitely has uh, there there's a place for it in in certain conditions. Um. It's probably an advantage, but until you have all the tire choices, you probably don't have all bases covered. Yeah. And that's why we stuck with 26 for our spec this year. Um, but with the, uh, the new cake eater 27.5 tire out, mm-hmm. uh, that does a lot of things really well. That it does. So, so maybe some, uh, some, you might, dabble in the 27.5 in the future i know that i've i've run those wheels on my corvus flt and they fit and run great and you were on the cake eater 4.5 not that tire no i haven't gotten that that combination on there yet i uh i I keep on i keep on breaking things so uh it's (laughs) it's kind of maddening i i i I cracked the flange on a hub on the wheels that I was going to run that tire. Uh, so once that gets gets straightened out, wow. then then that's what's going to go on there. So, um, so always okay. you know, got to always have something to look forward to though. So uh, yeah, you want to you want to take a crack at at introducing Jordan? Oh man, that that guy, uh, what a monster! Um, you know, he just uh, powered away from the field, um, you know, uh, which he's done before. That's not the first time. And, you know, he has not uh, reached his potential yet. And we've got him coming up for the White Mountains 100, which okay. our uh, good friend Kevin Breitenbach has taken over as race director. So I look forward to Jordan coming up here and uh, checking out what Alaska has to offer. So, uh, incredible talent. Cool. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get to see you in Paul Keaton in one of these years. 
Yeah, heck yeah. I it's it's on my wish list, so let's shoot for twenty twenty. All right, let's do it. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. See you go, man. Hey, please welcome to the program Andy Tubesing, the owner of bikestud.com. Hi there. So Andy, Andy owns this uh, online company. Why don't you tell us a little bit about bikestud.com? Well, uh, we consider ourselves the affordable source for fat tire studs, uh, but of course they're for any kind of studded tires. But um, we started five years ago basically just trying to make uh, tire studs affordable. There's a variety of fat bike tires on the market that you can buy with or without studs. And um, it was just my goal to have an affordable option for that. So we did it, and people were into it, so it's been successful. Cool. You also sell some tires too, right? We do. We carry the terrine tires. Uh, you know, I mean, selling studdable tires helps sell studs also, but, uh, uh, you know, it's a good brand of tires. They're making some great stuff, so uh, that's working well for us also. Yeah, the uh, terrine Cake Eater won the uh, Nomi Award last year. Yes, it did. Yeah, uh, it's a really – it's a great um, – sort of all-purpose uh, put-it-on-for-the-winter kind of tire. Uh, it's got pretty good snow traction. It's got plenty of studs. Um, it rolls pretty efficiently. It's what I'm riding this year. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice combination. Cool. So with all the – right now we have, I don't know, uh, more than a handful, more than I can just name off uh, as far as the number of kinds of studs that are out there. Why don't you uh, share with our listener here uh, what makes a good stud? Well, uh, first of all, having it be a stud, I think, is the most important thing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, any kind of studs in your tire is going to be tremendously better traction than, than no studs at all. And that seems obvious, but a lot of people really debate the choice of whether to do it or not. And I think once you try it, you really understand that, that the stud, uh, having studs in your tires is just an incredible difference. Um, and so, yeah, there's a variety of different options out there, and there are some different shapes. And now, now, you know, as of last year, there are a couple different sizes and a couple different styles of those. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty to choose from. Um, we've gone after basically our most popular stud is the flat tip stud. Uh, it's got the best mixture of tra- traction and affordability. Um, you know, there are some a little more exotic out there that are more expensive. There aren't really any that I know of that are cheaper unless you're ordering them from China and waiting a month. But, um, for the most part, the differences between the different kinds of studs in terms of traction are relatively minor, especially compared to the difference between riding studs uh, at all or not. Um, it's interesting. A lot of people really feel like they need a long stud. There's a lot of discussion out there, you know, comparing the nitty gritty of the lengths of each different model of stud and all that. And Right. That's how I kind of identified that there was more studs because they started talking to people and they're like, oh, I'm running the Johnny Fives with the extra longs. And I'm like, "Mm, well, there might be different kind of studs out there. (laughs) Yeah, there are. And there's the presumption that longer is better. But interestingly, um, once the tip is sticking out of the tire, it's doing its job. Um, So you want to think about it as putting fingernails on your tire, not fangs. And you see these pictures of people who put like machine screws through their tire and they're sticking out three quarters of an inch or something. Uh, right. It's pretty obvious that those are just going to be bending over underneath the tire and they may be adding traction, but they're going to be putting a lot of wear on the tire too. And rolling um, resistance. Right. Exactly. So, you know, hair splitting over a millimeter or half a millimeter of length or something is, is, is not really a 
going to get you very far. Uh, once that tip is sticking out half a millimeter or more, it's going to be doing its job. So, um, and interestingly, the, the base format for all of the tire studs on the market is basically the same. Uh, that size and shape of the, of the base of the stud is pretty universal. So really the difference between them all is in the tips. Well, that, um, that really goes against the grain of bicycling, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Seems like we should have at least, a, we should have like the Australian uh, standard and the American standard, at least. Well, I guess you can, I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe on behalf of the bike industry, I apologize for participants, but something that's actually universally compatible. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you just became uh, the bicycle industry man of the year. Well, I didn't do it. I just played along with it. So, um, you know, uh, it's working great. <laughs> <laughs> cool. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? We can always hope for that. Right. Well, I am uh, I am uh, going to interview some Trek product engineers uh, very soon. So uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe well, I can suggest know, to them to see how this works, yeah. guys. Everybody can use everybody's studs. Yep. Well, and it's interesting because, the compatibility of studs really doesn't mean there isn't room for innovation. Uh, there really have been some interesting things happening in, in the tire stud market. You know, uh, this XL stud that, that started uh, appearing last year, um, now you can get in two forms. There's the concave tip version. There's also Terrine has the crown tip version, which is just, it's a super gnarly stud. Um, you know, if you look in the picture you have posted, it's, it's the, it's the one in the upper right corner. I think we called it, uh, B, right. Stud number B. Um, you know, that's, that's three very distinct gnarly tips sticking up out of the tire and they're far enough apart to be, you know, separate points of contact. So, and that's the Terrine Ultra stud, right? Yes. Yep. That's it. I like and to... it's very similar to their crown tip stud. Uh, you know, the regular stud you get when you, when you, you know, the factory studded tires they sell and you can buy them separately. It's just a larger version of it with the three tips. The green Mahalishi with the three pronged crown. Yeah, it that's, really is a crown too. That's what I call it. Yeah. But it's the Turin Ultra B on yeah. your, on your cheat sheet on the show notes. Yep. And then the, the A version is, is pretty much the same shape. It's just smaller. Uh, uh, you know, so. With the flat tips, uh, it's really that sharp edge of the cylinder. If you think about like the edge of a soup can or something digging in, right. um, that's where where your traction is coming from. Interestingly, there uh, you know there's the impression, and I, I I had it as well when I first got into this that a pointed tip stud was going to be better because you know it's it's a piercing tip. Uh, but when you look at it closely, you just got one little tiny point of contact at the tip of that stud as opposed to when the stud top is totally flat, you've got the whole edge of that cylinder that can dig in like a fingernail instead of a single point. Right. So, the surface uh, area would be increased by quite a bit, you know, more, more than a hundred percent. It seems counterintuitive because you look at that flat tip and say, how's that going to give me traction? But it's really the edge of it is where uh, you're getting the grab. Tiny uh, hooves. You know. Basically. <laughs> or horseshoes, maybe. Right. Um, so we carried, uh, pointed tip studs. We used to offer pointed or flat tip studs, but we stopped carrying the pointed ones. They just, they didn't work nearly as well and they weren't very popular. So we stopped carrying them. And the there's another handful of brands out there that actually have sort of a dome tipped, 
how it stood. It looks flat until you really look close and it's kind of dome tipped. And those, there's a little compromise with that too, because that dome lifts the cylinder edge off the ice a little bit. Yeah. And reduces the amount of contact area. Right. So then of course the concave tips, which we're uh, all, you know, we're all familiar with, uh, those, you know, there, there's a couple of school of thoughts on those. It's, it's possible that those are offering two contact points, like the front edge of the cylinder and then the inner edge inside where the hole is. Um, the trade-off with those is that there's less material there, so they tend to wear a little faster than the flat tip version. Um, and that's true also about the crown tip stud. You know, with those really small points of engagement, they're really bitey, but they, there's a little more wear involved there if you're on pavement or sidewalks or paved trails very often. And uh, that's a good segue to break-in because uh, you're supposed to ride your studs in, right? Yes. Um, those the studs are, especially when you put them in by hand, um, you know, they're, they're in the pocket, but they may not be fully seated. So riding on hard surfaces with those for a good number of miles before you do any trail ripping is a good idea. Um, you know, and that's a theory we've all heard, but as... <laughs> As somebody who's selling these to people and deals with people that uh, that email us when they're having trouble, I can tell you that's a real thing. Uh, you know, it's 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 an email pattern. It says, "Hey, half my studs fell out," and we say, "Did you do the break-in period?" And they say, "What?" <laughs> so, uh, hey, you know, guilty is charged here. I, <laughs> I studded up a cake eater last last winter, and when I went to put it on this uh, this winter, I'm like. What? How many studs am I missing? And I put a yeah. bunch back in, and yeah. then then we talked, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, I didn't break yeah. it in, did I?" That that riding really finishes hammering the stud into the pocket, so it's it's really um, well seated. Yeah, you said uh, in the factory they use a pneumatic hammer to seat those, yeah, and the are put in with a with like it's almost like a you know a nail gun style tool tool that that slams them in there. Um, and I'm not I can't say what manufacturers are aren't doing it that way, but um, those tools do exist. So it's possible some of those from the factory are going to need a little less break in than the ones you do by hand because you just can't slam them in that hard. But um, so you know, regardless, getting them in there and also. Having the tire set up well when you're studying them can help that also. If you've got enough pressure in the tire so it's providing enough back pressure against your, uh, you know, you're pushing the stud in there, that can help get it deeper in the pocket too. Gotcha. So maybe pump them up to whatever the tire says the max is? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, really the more pressure you've got in there, uh, the easier it is. The knob is still going to be flexible enough to let the flange of the, of the stud get in there, but the the, the back of the tire – uh, pushing against it is going to stop it from mushing around too much on you. So the, uh, I, I have a friend who did it by wrapping his tire around a football, but it's basically the same concept. <laughs> right, right on. Uh, so my other question is, the tire that I studded, that cake eater, I had ridden it yeah. in the dirt before, and I I probably <laughs> power washed it or or did something to get it all cleaned out. Does that have a detrimental effect on its studability, its re- its retention of those studs? or Well, it, it's certainly going to increase the workload of getting studs in there because even I, – I, I did the same thing. When I when I first studded my first pair of tires, I thought, oh, I'll try them first, and then I'll put studs in and try them again. And I took one quick road uh, ride down the alley on a brand-new pair of tires, and I got them inside, and every single one of those holes had a little pebble lodged in it. <laughs> and um, that doesn't so, help. <laughs> it 
it was a time investment to sit with a little tiny blade screwdriver and pick all those those pebbles out in the dirt or whatever. Um, and I suppose to some degree, you know, you probably can't get all of that stuff out. And so putting a stud on top of something like that might interfere a little bit with its, you know, with how well it seats in there. Um, so our recommendation is definitely don't ride the tire before you stud them if you don't have to. Um, cool. That's a common question we get too. It's like, oh, I can take them out in the winter, in the summer, and then I put them back in the winter. Yeah, maybe you'll do that once, and and you'll pick all the stuff <laughs> out of those holes. That's it. If you had a butler, maybe a yeah. stud butler. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, so in the in the uh, in the butler's cabinet, what kind of lube would he use for the? Uh, well, the ones that want to feel, uh, feel uh, you know, like they're getting street cred for it, tell you they use vodka or bourbon or something. <laughs> but, you know, really any kind of liquid is going to help them slide in. Just anything to, to put something between that uh, aluminum and the grippy rubber. People use water, uh, hand sanitizer, rubbing alcohol. You know, uh, we hear that people are trying all kinds of things. But basically it sounds like any kind of liquid will work. I used hand sanitizer on the last set. I used water uh, on the set before that. You know, it, 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 you, you could experiment and find the perfect thing, but really, um, you know, some kind of anything to make it slipperier is going to help a lot. Right on. That helps, yeah, that helps also with stud retention also because it really helps you get it in better. Right. Um, you know, when you stud your first few, you can find it a little bit difficult to, to feel like they're going to be sitting squarely in the hole until you kind of adjust your technique to get it, uh, to go in better. But so anybody again, ever tried using glue? <laughs> well, <laughs> I've heard people, uh, talk about Loctite. I, yeah. I have no idea if that's going to stick to rubber or not. I, you know, people I think are just thinking whatever they can to, to try to improve their chances of keeping the studs. But yeah. honestly, I think you're better off just focusing more on the break-in period. All right. Yeah, because you never know what kind of glue will react with that synthetic latex. Yep. And, you yep. Know, and tires ain't you know, cheap. Yeah. So if you ruin them. If anything, I would imagine some glue, maybe if, if it sticks to the rubber or not, I don't know if it sticks to the stud, then I guess you're making the, the stud body a little more chunky inside there. Maybe it's, it's harder for that to come out if it's a different shape. I don't know, but... Uh, you know, I, they're meant to go in there just as a stud on the rubber. So, uh, you know, and they can stay in for a long time if you put them in well and break them in. So, cool. And I, and do you have a uh, do you have some sort of installation uh, video on your site with this uh, we do. time warp yep. dance? It's just a <laughs> side cutting start, circular motion, yep. hand well, around the pocket. <laughs> yep, at, uh, at com we have, uh, there's an installation facts page, and on there, there's a link to a Facebook video where I uh, I show you how to do it. Um, basically, I mean, the tool is basically like a screwdriver, and it's got a hole drilled up in the end. It's just got a flat end on it, like a round tube, basically. You stick the tip of the stud into there, and then you've got the flange uh, across the end of the screwdriver tip. Uh, if you lay that flange across the hole, to start it so that it kind of cuts down into the hole and then lever your tool sideways to push the other side of it down in, then make sort of a circular motion with your hand around the hole as you're pushing in. Then that'll, that'll pop the edges of the flange inside 
uh, and get the, the edges of the knob to pop up around the flange. Um, some people try twisting the screwdriver like you're turning a screw, and I haven't found that to be very helpful. So I try to say a circular motion around the hole is really what helps get that flange buried in there. Like Mark McGuire said about hitting home runs, it's all in the hips. <laughs> you may need to put your body into it a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like to, I like to uh, push the knob sideways, laterally. Um, yeah. And that stretches open the hole a little right, bit. That right, and then you get yep. that other edge in, and then you kind of, yeah, do a little circular motion. I could see where that would get it, the edge of that flange seated into that little pocket. Yep. Well, and spe- there actually is a T-shaped hole in there. I mean, the hole does get wider at the bottom, so you really need to try to get that flange in there so that the, that the rubber snaps up on top of the flange all the way around it. And I tell you, I, I took probably three nights to stud one tire because Ooh. I, you know, I would only just do a bit here and there because, sure. and by the, the second and third night, I wore a glove because, uh, uh, man, that tool, the tool yeah. just puts a blister right in the middle of my palm. It can. I don't find that I get blisters, but I tend to, uh, I tend to change uh, positions, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll hold the tool with the, with the screwdriver pointing down out of my hand instead of up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes oh, you know, yeah. depending on the position and how you're approaching the tire, you can get a variety of hand positions that way. I probably and have also, girly, girly blogger <laughs> hands. You know, the only thing that I really do is ride a bike with that yeah. puts pressure on my hands. Yeah. But, well then I guess maybe you just need to get gnarlier grip to toughen up your hands. Rule number five, Gomez, harden the blank up. Hmm, should we start putting studs in grip? Maybe not. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you, you offer a tool, and there's there's a couple of yep. different kinds on the market. There's one that has a magnetic tip, which would be nice. Well, our tip is magnetized, um, and that's a source of some confusion for people. Um the, the, you know, our tip, the tip of our tool is magnetized like a screwdriver is, where it can kind of pick up a screw or hold a screw in there. Mm-hmm. But, like, if, if you shake it, the screw will fall off, right? Our right. tip is very similar. And we've got the added challenge that our studs, you know, that carbide tip is just a very, very small amount of, of steel. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a lot of metal there for the magnetic tip to be attracting to. So it, it doesn't really hold the stud in the end of the tool. It just kind of helps hold it. Um, so like if you imagine putting it in with the tool sideways and tipping it down, like you're trying to, to pour the, the stud out of the tip, mm-hmm. it's, you can get to a steeper angle with it before it falls out as opposed to a non magnetized tip. Um, these... Next year, our tool is going to be different. Uh, <laughs> I'll say that for now, but next year's tool, uh, you can expect something different in that category from us. Fantastic. All right. I'm looking for like a girly man ergonomic handle. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, we had a variety of handles to choose from, and and uh, and you know, I I did some testing with some people, and and that was the handle that people seemed to settle on. Cool. Um, there's also T uh, like T handle styles out there that that some people like, and I don't know. I've asked around a lot of people, and it's kind of a fifty-fifty. You know, like half the people really think the T handle is the way to go. Half the people really think the screwdriver handle. So, so we went with the screwdriver handle, and 
uh, and people do seem to like it well enough. Um, yeah, I, that's the one I use. Uh, I'm using your tool, so that didn't come out right. So well, let's, uh, <laughs> the, hey, uh, what kind of tires are you running, Andy? <laughs> well, I'm running the cake eater now. Um, it, it, partly that was a function of I had some handy when I, uh, when I was getting this bike ready this year, but um, I wanted to try them because last season, uh, uh, I put I put them on my wife's commuter bike last season, and, and she she rode to, to work all all winter last year on those, and seemed to like them a lot. I was riding the Escalator, uh, which I know is kind of a relic now, but I'm I'm not a tubeless guy, so I like the really thin wall of that Escalator tire with a tube in it. Um, it's still a pretty supple ride. 180 um, and TPI sidewall. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yep, and that's the predecessor to the Dillinger. It's the same tread pattern. It's like yeah. if you look at it, you can hardly tell the difference. But the Dillinger is a little lower TPI. I think it's probably got a more durable sidewall, and it's probably better for tubeless setups than the Escalator, uh, which of course wasn't even designed to be tubeless. I don't think that was kind of before that craze came along. Yeah, um, it's a it's part really of the like fat biking craze. scrolls or fat biking history. The Escalator. <laughs> I guess it is. Although I do tend to snatch them up when I see them on eBay or someplace because uh, I do like that tire. Nice. Um, it's like you, you have know, to go I to the you'll, the you'll have to go to the wayback machine with uh, Mister Peabody to get new ones. <laughs> right. Um, I rode the Wazia for the winter before that. Also, I um, I really like that tire. It's a really aggressive snow tire, and for loose conditions like we've got this winter. Um, I sometimes wish I had that tire on there. It's it's a pretty similar tread pattern to the cake eater, but the the knobs are taller, um, and there aren't quite as few studs on it, or not quite as many studs on it. But it's also a great snow tire. Um, so I kind of mix it up a little bit. Uh, and there's several fat bikes in 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 the stable here, so I've got some with the cake eater, some with the escalator. Um, I've got a pair of Wazias mounted up still. And then, of course, my summer tire, I love the Husker Du. So I still oh, yeah. got a set for that. So when the snow goes away or whatever, I can easily uh, get up riding. And uh, it's, it's uh, we're a fat bike site, but obviously we ride all kinds of bikes. I mean, for commuting, if you're not, if you're running pretty much any kind of 29 plus, 2.8, 27.5 plus, all of those tires can be studded with these studs. Well, now they can't, yeah. Uh, there have not been very many offerings for those sizes in the studable tire, especially for mountain bike width. I mean, 29er, yes, the 27.5 is, has not brought or not seen very many studable options. But the cake eater is now available uh, in plus sizes, both 27.5 and 29. In fact, the, the stud sample pictures that we've got uh, up on the site are, uh, that's a 29 by uh, 2.8 cake eater tire that we're showing those studs in. So you can, you can have studs in any size tire now. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I've, I've been riding in the winter long enough that we bought those Nokian extreme two two ninety six for for a billion dollars each that I I still have a pair too. (laughs) I'll never get rid of those tires. Ride a single speed on a lake. Ooh, that's good. Good fun. I have a titanium 26 er with those tires on it that I think of as kind of my ice racing bike, but, there's uh, the premier ice racing uh, event here in the Twin Cities is no longer. So uh, it, that bike gets looked at more than it gets ridden for sure. But we could say that about a lot of bikes, I guess. 
Wow, um, that's you know, sad, Andy. Oh, no, no, it's lovely uh, to have so many options. <laughs> but that's um, true. So uh, even those communicators on the market, those those have the same stud form factor also. So so any of these studs would work as replacements in like your Swalby marathons or any of those commuter style tires as well. Man, that's a, just just truly amazing across different size tires, the same stud base. Yeah, it seems like in the bike industry, that kind of compatibility just isn't generally allowed. But uh, somehow we're in a weird little miracle zone here. It definitely kind of seems to be exceptional. Exceptional bike yeah. studying there, bike industry. There we go. All so right. uh, you talked about the number of studs. How many, when you're studying your tire, do you need to fill all the holes? Uh, how about those square <laughs> holes on the cake eaters? <laughs> your first question is somewhat a religious question. The second one is an easy one. Okay. Uh, the cake eater does have those those very side knobs around the cake eater have square holes in them. Uh, and it, I've had quite a few customers write and say all their all the stuff on the side fell out. And I think, ooh, are you doing cake eaters and are you putting them in the square holes by chance? And then the answer is yes. Uh, those holes aren't really meant for studs. Um, that's part of the grip traction of the of the the tread itself. Um, but it is they're small enough where if you're not really paying attention, you can think that's a stud hole. Sure. That hole does not have a T shape underneath. There isn't a flange pocket that's wider inside there. So those studs will go in there and appear to be seated, but then when you start riding on them, they'll come out very easily. All right. You know, that's, um, that's helpful. That's helpful information. To, oh yeah. Um, as for how many studs to put in your tire, I get that, you know, that's back to kind of a, you know, cycling is a tweaker's paradise, right? So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> people, I've seen all manner of conversations trying to decide the best way to do it or whether you just do the front tire or whether you just put them in the middle or whether you just put them on the outer edge. There's a theory that you don't need them until you start sliding out and then they'll catch you. Then there's the responses that say, well, maybe it'd be better to not slide out in the first place. Um, you know, so right. again, I kind of default towards the tires designed for a particular uh, stud pattern put the studs in the pattern the tires designed for that's kind of my nominal approach um i guess you know easy for me to say i'm the guy that's selling you those studs and the more you buy the better it is for me but uh honestly uh i i think it's really just kind of a personal preference kind of thing some sure. people uh you know it is a little bit of weight you know the flat tip studs we sell are a quarter gram a piece so like studding up an entire dillinger tire is only 60 grams Mm -hmm. um, there's probably more variance in weight between different tires of the exact same model just because of the imperfections of the right. molding process than there is between the studs and not. So, yeah, I, so I think it comes down to cost for a lot of people. And so, you know, picking your pattern based on trying to be cost efficient there, I think is kind of be something someone's going to have to experiment with and see what they like better. So maybe if you're a racer, and you're counting grams on on your race bike. Maybe you want to skip a few, but I've I've always filled every hole. But I have to tell you, yeah, this cake eater that that lost a bunch of studs. Yeah, I, I I rode it with a bunch of studs missing, not on plate ice, but I, it it still worked. So yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's well, not like we talked earlier. I mean, if you're running somewhat lowish pressure, like you're tend to do with a fat bike. Um, that contact patch is going to have quite a few stud pockets 
on the ground. Right. You know, as long as some of those have studs in them, you're going to have some improvement. Well, very cool. I think we've covered everything that anybody ever wanted to know about studs. Well, it could be, uh, and who knows what the future will bring. Um, certainly a better tool for next year from us. Cool. Well, do you have any, uh, do you have any, uh, sales going on or do you want to give people a discount <laughs> code for danger? Gnome <laughs> podcast discount code. Um, follow our web, our, our Facebook page, the bike stud, uh, it's facebook.com slash bike stud. Um, we do run specials periodically. You know, we, we, you know, the typical times, most, uh, commercial outlets do sales. We have one. We did a special for National Fruitcake Day this year. Nice. Uh, had some increase in sales for that. That was just because some guy wrote in and said, hey, I missed your sale. Can you give me a deal? And I said, oh, let me look it up. Ah, oh, it's National Fruitcake Day. Let's do that. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm, I'm uh, who can say what will come along, but follow the Facebook page and you'll get the first alerts on that stuff. Cool. Thanks, Andy. You are our first guest on the Danger Gnome All podcast. Right. Well, it's been an honor. Thank you. Danger Gnome! Hey, please welcome to the radio program two-time Arrowhead 135 champion, Jordan Wakely. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Jordan, congratulations on your second Arrowhead 135. Thank you. That was a, was a good one to get out of the way. So, does that make you undefeated? You entered twice and won twice? Yeah, two for two and uh, actually three for three in Winter Ultras because I've got the uh, Tuscovia too. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, that means that you're qualified for the Iditarod that uh, Tyson Flaherty just won. Yeah, yeah I, was, uh, I was just watching dots there and driving <laughs> me crazy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell us about how the Arrowhead 135 race went for you this year. Oh, it was perfect. It couldn't have been better. I mean, uh, they, obviously, we had the polar vortex up there, and those cold temperatures really set that trail up perfect. Um, you know, we had sections that were almost like concrete, and it was, uh, you know, the bike setup was perfect. Fitness was really good, and uh, everything just lined up perfect for it. So did you get out and get a lead right away, or did you ride in a small elite pack in the beginning? How did that work out? Yeah, it was, uh, we, uh, within the first 10 miles, it was down to, uh, Neil and Neil, Ben and myself, right. and, uh, about 15 miles in, you know, the trail got a little chewed up from the snowmobiles and I had, uh, I had 4.8 inch tires on and they both had four inch tires on and, you know, they kind of struggled a little bit and I kind of rode away. Um, gotcha. They, and uh, they were yeah. both on, uh, on 27, five wheels and you're on okay. 26 20, inch yep. wheels, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I I did let him come back. You know, I was I was off the front for about an hour, and uh, you know the really flat stuff. And I actually got a little bored out there by myself. And you know, it's nice to have them guys back to talk with, and you know, kind of pace off them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we went into Gateway Store checkpoint together, and uh, about five miles after Gateway, the hills really start, and uh, I was feeling really good, and kind of took a little dig off the front. And, Neither of them came with me, and um, that was pretty much it. I was on my own for uh, eight or nine hours after that. Wow. So how does that work on your head? Are you cool with being out in front? Because I know that's kind of your uh, 
you do that in pole have done that in the past in polar roll races is uh do you have the right mindset for that yeah i, I kind of that's that's kind of my thing i like doing that you know uh out of sight out of mind you know I'm, i'd rather be out front than uh than chasing um you know that motivation knowing that they're back there you know kind of pushed me too so cool so with the weather i mean it was 35 degrees below zero air temperature at the start. Uh, I noticed you didn't have any tape on your face. You really didn't have a lot of clothes. Are you just working so hard that you're keeping that motor running warm enough? You know, I uh, I actually, it wasn't as cold as what it was expected to be. I mean, it was still really cold, um, but I did have a ton of dermatone on my face. Um, I had uh, a lot of extra layers on the bike. Um, I did stop about 20 miles in the race and, you know, put an extra extra buff on and a different hat. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, Dermatone, I did put that, that on too during the race. Uh, gotcha. That's some sort of, I, I'm not familiar with Dermatone. Is that like a, an ointment? <laughs> some uh, sort of? It is. It is. It's almost like a, um, you know, it's really greasy and it actually, it, I've used it in ski races and, um, you know, it really helps. Um, I've had problems, you know, I did use tape in the past and, you know, when you do peel that off, it actually has I've peeled part of my skin off doing that. Yeah, a lot of people have problems with adhesive too. You know, their their skin just, or, or, you know, I know I have a friend who's allergic to can't put band aids on. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So a lot of people don't know, and you brought up ski racing, is that you are the triple threat of lumberjack, skier, canoe, uh, what else? And bike, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah mountain biking. Um, I actually I did my first uh, trail run ultra marathon um, last fall. And, uh, yeah, I just I love that endurance stuff. Cool. And uh, I've always told the story that you're some sort of aquatic lumberjack for your job. Did you ever have a job where you used a chainsaw and cleared, uh, like cleared paddling rivers and whatnot, or was that just a hobby? No, that's actually what I used to do. Uh, my uncle used to own a, uh, you know, a firewood company. That's big business up here. And, you know, for 10 years, that's all I did was cut, uh, you know, cut pulp wood. And then, you know, a job with the local DNR around here, um, clearing rivers and streams. And um, up until about a year and a half ago, that's what I was doing. And um, I'm actually at a local bike and ski shop now, um, you know, building bikes and talking skis and all that good stuff all day long now. Cool. So people can come in and see. What's the name of the shop that you work at? Uh, Northbound Outfitters. Northbound Outfitters. And is that in Gaylord or? Uh, it's in Grayling. Grayling. Gotcha. Yep. Cool. So this year, you are sponsored by Fatback Bicycles. Tell us a little bit about uh, about your new race whip. Oh, yeah. I, I was very fortunate, um, you know, talking with Greg and uh, Fuzzy to be able to we hooked up with Fatback this year. Um, I'm on the new Corvus FLT. Um, that thing is just amazing. I mean, it's built around, um, you know, ultra endurance style racing. It's uh, super stable, tons of rack mounts, um, and it's still crazy light. Yeah. And what are you on the new uh, Fatback wide ride with the night carbon wheels yet? I'm not. Not on those yet. Um, I've been running the... Uh, the aluminum, yeah, the um, big suits, big big suit rims, which are amazing. I mean, the tubeless setup is awesome on them, and I'm on the fat back, um, the Alaskan edition hubs, which are 
I mean, those things roll so smooth. Yeah. And what, what tires did you run in the Arrowhead? Uh, so I ran the, uh, the 45 North um, Husker Dews, the 4.8. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're so fast. Actually, I think Tyson was riding those when, he, uh, when I did it yesterday. Cool, yeah. We just got a set of those in, and we just we put up a story about it. Um, so at the Arrowhead, do you have to run bags? What uh, what bag? Who's your bag maker? Uh, I I uh, I ride bags from uh, Bike Bag Dude out of Australia. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, you know he he approached me two years ago. Um, actually, after I won Arrowhead my first year in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually I went in 2015. I actually bungee strapped my sleeping bag to my handlebars and. Every bump I hit, you know, it was buzzing my tires. Oh, and, uh, yeah. So Charlie Tree kind of was making fun of me the whole time, and he's actually, he set me up with them. Yeah, I think I remember a story where it was a surly junk strap that was in the goodie bag or something, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, super impressed with bike bag dude stuff. Um, you know, he went above and beyond to make me a new kit for uh, the new Corvus, and, uh, you know, up until... A, Five days before the race, he was actually still sending me stuff to uh, to get me through that race. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate um, Keaton over there in Australia. Yeah, he does a good job. And he's been doing it for, I mean, he's one of the earliest guys. Yep. So are you going to race Fat Bike Berkey this year? Uh, you know, it was on the radar. And uh, now that I'm planning on going to Alaska, I don't think I'm going to go. Um, you know, my... my I've been all about endurance this year, Arrowhead and uh, Alaska, and I'm kind of missing that. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a whole different race. Yeah, well, yeah. my last my last cross country races, you know, I've I've been out front, and then you know, I I don't have that finishing finishing speed right now. So I've you know, I've been second in my last two races under thirty miles. And, um, yeah, give me a hundred miles, and I'll go grind it out. But you know, thirty miles are kind of tough on me. Well, all right. Well, let's talk about going to Alaska. You're going to go up and do the White Mountains 100. Uh, our old friend Kevin Breitenbach, the uh, ITI Anderhood 135 winner, uh, is the director of that race, new director of that race. Have you been to Alaska before? I've never been to Alaska. It's always been a dream of mine. And, uh, you know, being able to go there now and uh, actually race up there is, you know, I I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. It's going to be uh, it's going to be quite the adventure. Yeah, I don't think you're going to want to come back, man. But that's that's uh, actually what I told my girlfriend. I said, you know, you might not see me again because I might not come back. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good thing to tell your girlfriend, no, dude. <laughs> uh, free marital advice there, free relationship <laughs> advice from the Captain Obvious. So, uh, yeah, I, I've met a couple of times, and I just don't think I've met a more down-to-earth hospitable, generous, really cool people. Uh, and, you know, it's obviously super gorgeous. The race that you're going to do, it goes back into BLM land, into where there's cabins, and, I mean, it just looks idyllic. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've been, you know, drooling over pictures every day. Um, you know, and like you said, nice people you ever meet. I mean, I've never met Greg in person yet, but... uh you know, he's been nothing but good to me and Kevin and Tim and, you know, all the fat back guys. Oh, yeah. they. Greg is, uh, I recorded earlier, he's on this show with you. Uh, he's, awesome. 
I think he's right before you in the way I've got this thing uh, stacked up for editing. So uh, anything else you want to share before we say goodbye today? Uh, no, not a whole lot. Thanks for having me on. And uh, like I said, I can't thank, uh, you know, Fatback Bikes enough for the support this year and uh, Bike Bag Dude. Right on. Um, yeah, as uh, without those guys, it wouldn't be possible to uh, to go race every weekend like I do. And I uh, really appreciate those guys. Right on, Jordan. And uh, we wish you luck up there at the White Mountains 100. And again, congratulations. Entered the Arrowhead 135 twice and won twice. So uh, maybe you'll uh, you'll go up there and show those show those Alaskans how 100 miles <laughs> can be run. Yeah, well, I know they're tough, but uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I can't, I can't wait to get up there and race with them. So, cool. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, go, Matt. Well, that just about rounds up show number one of the Danger Gnome Podcast. We do have one more uh, item on our list, and uh, this is for the trail workers or trail coordinators out there. QBP is offering a community grant program. They've lumped together fifty grand. And they're, uh, they're taking applications from people out there that want to help build bicycle infrastructure and hold educational programs or youth programs. So get your application in. There will be a link in the show notes. Applications open February 18th, of course, which is in the past. The initial proposals are due March 18th and then... The uh, the awards will be given out April 1st, and the grants will be awarded May 1st. So this is right now, people. Get out there and get your share of that 50K and build some cool stuff. That's it for me tonight. Hope you liked the first Danger Gnome podcast. Uh, we'll be back with number two next month. Have a good one. <laughs>